Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My guest today from Birmingham, England, is consultant in diabetes and weight management, Dr. Sam. Dr. Sam is passionate about weight management and diabetes and helping patients to improve their lives. Dr. Sam joins me to discuss the latest medical strategies for weight loss. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. How are you doing today, Dr. Sam? I'm great. Thank you, Dee. And uh, many thanks for welcoming me onto your podcast and to all your viewers out there from wherever they are out in the world. I'm really looking forward to today's episode. This is a subject that is actually quite close to my heart because prior to CKD, I was on my weight loss journey and doing really well. And then CKD came along and kind of interrupted everything. And for people familiar with my journey, training and exercise and weight management is something that is something I have spoken frequently about on the podcast and in previous episodes. And please do check them out. I've looked at diet with renal dietitians Angeline and Laura and also Ravinda, renal dietitians. So do check out episodes 50, 52, 65, 74 and 77 where we've looked at diet and also looked at weight loss from a renal dietitian point of view. I want to start with a disclaimer. The topic that we're talking about today, we are not giving medical advice. And so if you're looking for specific medical advice, please do consult your medical team. This episode is for educational purposes only. The topic of this episode today is the latest medical strategies for weight loss. When we hear of the word weight and weight management, there stirs up quite a lot of feelings around weight when it comes to obesity and being overweight. So I wanted to just talk very quickly about that because This is something that you do see quite a lot, especially on social media, where people are fat shamed and people are made to feel a way about being overweight. There's the stigma and assumption that because you're overweight, you're lazy or this, that and the other. In terms of your experiences with patients and in your clinics as well, what has been your experience, Dr. Sam? Okay, well, thanks very much then, Dee. So the first thing I'd like to mention, you said that this was something that was uh, close to your heart. Just to mention that it's close to a lot of people's hearts, in fact, most of the population. So I thought, why don't we start off, first of all, with a few statistics and we'll make it into a bit of a game so it becomes a little bit more interesting. And you're going to be my contestant. It's going to be the other way around. Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we need a drum roll, first of all, but anyway. okay. (laughs) So the first question then is, by the year 2030, how many people on this planet will be living with obesity? Have a guess. Have a guess. Oh, wow. So there's, what is it, six billion people on the earth at the moment? Close, above, just above seven. Oh, okay. So seven billion people on the earth. 
I don't know, two billion. Oh, oh, close. That's a good effort. That's a good effort. It's one billion, but then that works out to one in seven people will have obesity. Wow. Okay. So again, this is like an area that people shouldn't feel as if they're the only ones. Yeah. There's a lot of people affected. So number two, what percentage of children and adolescents by the year 2030 are going to have obesity? I would hope that that would be a very low number, thirty percent. Thirty percent, no less than that. Thirteen uh, percent, unlucky. Oh, but, um, yeah. Oh, so I mean, it's lower than still... I was thinking. If that's good. And then this is the last one. It's the battle of the genders now. So by the year two thousand and thirty, do you think it will be more women or more men who will be affected by obesity or be living with obesity? I think it will be more men. You think it'll be more men? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I have to tell you, unfortunately, that's uh, it's the other way around. Oh, okay.、Uh, the suggestion is it's going to be one in five women, which is about twenty percent of women, will be living with obesity by two thousand thirty, and it'll be one in seven men who will be living with obesity by two thousand and thirty. So that's about sort of fourteen percent, so fourteen fifteen percent. This just sort of highlights the scale of what. Is out there at the moment, and so this is why medical teams now have got specialist areas just for weight management now to see how we can try and help people, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. First of all, as well, I just wanted to talk a little bit about. We've gone through these statistics. Do you know any reason why we might be having such high numbers like the ones we've just been through? I'm thinking that it's about fast food and processed foods, things like that. People grabbing food on the go, and that food being very dense with calories and fat and salt and things like that. Yep, I think that you're a hundred percent correct there. So it's about diets essentially, and that's one area. And if I give you a statistic here, compared to perhaps the 1950s or the 1960s, the daily calorie intake, bearing in mind calories, the currency of energy, it's increased by about 800 per day. So by the time you get to the end of the week, people have had maybe an extra three and a half thousand calories compared to the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties. So that's about having food for an extra one and a half to two days in certain cases per week, and that's not just one week. Then that will just be for every week, which goes on to explain some of the things that we've been talking about just now. And I think the main message is that that majority of areas in the world, not all areas of the world, but majority of areas of the world. We're living in a time where there's no shortage of food, and this basically means that we're living with hypercalorific diets, which essentially means high-calorie diets, where people are on quests to have food that tastes good. But unfortunately, food that tastes good will also have consequences in terms of calories, etc. The next thing to mention then is about physical activity, and when we talk about physical activity, we're not just talking about people who go out for runs and cycles and doing marathons, etc., etc. But we're just talking about the general amount of physical activity that a person might do on one particular day, and essentially, there's been a change in the way that our society works compared to previous. Again, we're thinking about the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, when rates of obesity were much lower. People typically then were just more active and on their feet for jobs, such as working in factories, working in fields, working in mines. Nowadays, the tendency is for people to work behind computers and to work at desks. 
And society generally has become a lot more comfortable in the way that people are able to drive a lot more, whereas people used to probably have to walk to work, etc. And even recently, like, for example, over the last few years, when we think about things like the pandemic, we think about the sort of like the explosion of internet shopping. You can have all your things delivered to you straight to your front door. You don't need to walk to the supermarket anymore. Even now, instead of having to go to the cinema, people can watch all their favorite things on Netflix. Yeah. And just things such as even going out to socialize. People can do this remotely over things like Zoom or all these other applications. And the last example is that with all these electric bikes and electric scooters that exist, nowadays people don't even have to pedal. And what this all adds up to then is people then being less physically active compared to the past, which is the other end of the equation. So in the context of renal patients, where obviously people can be very, very ill and not Mm -hmm. able to be as active and this lots of different reasons why somebody living with kidney disease might gain weight or become overweight or obese. So let's look at that specifically. So if we're looking at the reasons why somebody living with kidney disease may gain Mm -hmm. weight, what would those reasons be? What you've mentioned to it, you've been very correct and specific around the fact that people with kidney disease can have illnesses intermittently or quite a lot of the time, and that's going to prevent people from being healthy. And from our point of view, there's no judgments that when people are unwell, you have to eat just to get yourself better. And during those times as well, people aren't able to be physically active. For example, they might be in hospital. And even when they're not in hospital, they might be less active and just confined to people's beds. Also, people on dialysis. It's fully understood that people can be having dialysis three times a week. And, you know, these individuals are going to be less physically active. It's quite an important process for people to have to go through. Now, specifically related to kidney disease, the kidneys, together with the rest of the urological system, is responsible for water leaving the human body. So if kidneys aren't working well, it's possible that people can keep more fluid in their body, what we call fluid retention. And this can also add to weight gain as well. The second point to move on to then is that people with kidney disease at certain time points will be required to have specific diets. And it could either be a high calorie diet, a high protein diet, or it could even be a low protein or low calorie diet. And I think it's about just considering the nutritional requirements at that time point. So this is something that's important and it can be a barrier towards people achieving a healthy diet. Now, the final thing to consider is that people with kidney disease often have to take specific tablets. And these tablets can do things such as either increase weight or they can increase appetite. And one of the most common tablets to think about is pregnisolone, which is a oral steroid tablet. It's a very good tablet and it's often an extremely important tablet when it's prescribed by doctors. But what we do know is that it can have some side effects, such as increasing weight. It also increases sugar, which is one of the areas I'm interested in. So hearing that as a kidney patient, you're in a catch-22 situation, really, because speaking personally, you have to take these medications to maintain your life, basically, to stay alive. Yet these same medications cause you to gain weight or, like you said, increase your appetite, which is why this topic is so close to my heart and why we wanted to do this episode because I know it affects me and so many people living with kidney disease. How do you then 
get around it, so to speak. You've got to take this medication. It's contributing to the problem. So how do you lose weight when you have these barriers to deal with? So first of all, uh, I think you've asked a, a very important question here. And I don't think there's any easy answers to these questions. I think that in many cases, it can be a fine balance and to actually consider what the need is at that one time point. People with renal disease, it's a chronic disease and it's like a journey for them. At times, they'll need to concentrate less on their diet in order to make sure that they're nutritionally much better. And at other times when they're better, that could be more of an appropriate moment to attempt for weight loss. Moving on from that point, then, Dee, we now have the invention of weight management clinics, which exist in not all hospitals, but most hospitals. And in these clinics, our aim is to help patients as much as possible. As you know, as anyone knows, discussing weight, it's not an easy topic to talk about. And therefore, because it's a difficult area, because people can feel stigmatised, they can feel as if they're being blamed, etc. You mentioned before about fat shaming as well. In our clinics, what we aim to do is to create an environment of support where people are welcomed so they don't feel judged and they can feel at ease so that we can have conversations about how they're doing, how they're getting on. And it's because we acknowledge that people have to live with obesity, live with being overweight, and that it's not easy for them. So within these clinics, then, first of all, we welcome our patients and then we discuss whatever they want to talk about to see how they're getting on. So it can sometimes involve speaking to specialist dietitians whose jobs specifically relate to weight loss. And we can then go on to potentially even suggest medications. And there are various medications out now, not lots of medications, but these medications can help people to lose weight as part of a healthy diet. So the first medication developed originally for people with diabetes, and it was released from 2005 onwards. However, people have begun to realise that it's actually safe for people without diabetes as well. Now, these medications have been proven to help people lose weight and certain types of the medications, because there's various ones within the family, have actually been proven to stop people from having things like heart attacks and strokes and maybe even live slightly longer. So this medication is known as a GLP-1. This is the category or family, a glucagon-like peptide 1 agonist. And essentially, this operates to reduce people's hunger. So it doesn't actually make people lose weight directly. Unfortunately, there's no such thing. If someone did make something that actually helped people to lose weight, that person would probably become a billionaire overnight. <laughs> I'm still on the case at the moment, but not yet. But these medications, essentially, they work on the stomach and the stomach communicates with the brain about how hungry you are. And indirectly, not specifically, but this medication replicates a hormone with naturally within the human body and it makes the stomach believe it's more full than it actually is. So then the brain believes that the stomach is more full than it is and therefore the brain doesn't have as much of a stimulus to go out towards the kitchen or the fridge and eat food, i.e. it's kind of helping in inverted commas to suppress people's appetites. And that's probably in a nutshell the best way to describe how this medication works. There are various medications. The ones that are available now have got names such as loraglutide or Victoza or semaglutide, known as Zempic. They generally exist as injections, although they're not insulin, and they can be either once a day or once a week. And generally speaking, across the population who have used these medications, 
they've been well tolerated and they've worked quite well with people. Some people have had side effects, unfortunately. So for kidney patients who may already be on a lot of different medications, how does this medication work? Is it safe for kidney patients to take these kind of appetite suppressing medications? That's a very good question, Z. And to answer this, what I'll mention to you is that the licenses are being updated constantly, depending on how much safety information is available. Previously, patients with CKD, chronic kidney disease, or a kidney function level known as an estimated cumulative filtration rates, EGFR, of quite a high level, were not able to get these medications. But now the majority of people up to CKD stage level five, that's an EGFR 15, can be prescribed these medications. Unfortunately, when people are on dialysis, they can't be given these medications simply because we don't have enough safety information yet. In the future, maybe, though. So basically, people at CKD stage one to four can be considered for these medications? That's right. If people have diabetes, they can be prescribed these. If people don't have diabetes, but they have the stage just before this, known as pre-diabetes, they can also be prescribed this according to the guidelines in the UK. Now, the big problem in the UK is that if people have normal sugar levels, i.e. they don't have type 2 diabetes or they don't have the borderline diabetes known as pre-diabetes, we haven't been able to prescribe these medications. But the good news is that later this year, there's going to be another injection released where the license for this is that it can be prescribed for anybody regardless of what their sugar status is. And that's going to be a big step forward for us because we have lots of people who, for example, are living with obesity, but their sugar level is completely normal and we're not able to prescribe things for them. So that will be a real step forward for the UK and I think it'll be the same in a lot of Europe and America as well. What other weight loss strategies are there for people living with CKD? So, so far, we've talked a little bit about the fact that there are specialist weight loss dietitians. We've talked about one category or family of medications. There will be more in the future. So we like to give our patients a range of options. And one of the other options is to consider what's known as weight loss surgery or bariatric surgery. And essentially, bariatric surgery is something that many people have seen perhaps in the media or on television. You get these quite striking images in these television programs. So we generally like to tell people about bariatric surgery so that there are various operations available and there are some real advantages for going ahead with bariatric surgery. Generally, the process takes a lot longer because we have to make sure that it's the right person who's doing it for the right reasons. You can imagine that it's not as simple as just giving somebody a medication that they can then receive over the counter, etc. And then we also have to have the ability to do the operation through the various surgeons. So the advantage of having a weight loss operation or a bariatric surgery is that depending on the type of operation that's chosen, people could lose up to about 20, maybe 25% of their body weight, depending on how successful it is. There are some disadvantages, however, because people need to undertake an operation and there can be some disadvantages of anybody having any operation. And it also involves a longer term commitment with the hospital as well. But there are a range of operations available. 
So again, for kidney patients who some people can be really, really unwell, would bariatric surgery ever be suitable for somebody who has a lot of other medical complications? In reality, I think that weight loss strategies are best meant for people who do have a lot of other medical problems, including kidney disease. These are the people who we are trying to help the most. Kidney disease is often associated with high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, people with high weight. And these are the people who we need to really try and help just as much as anyone else. So we look at each individual case and try to analyse the benefits and risks of giving these people operations. So what further support and resources are out there for kidney patients who need further support in losing weight? So first of all, I'll just refer to the UK market. There's an organisation and uh, they have a website. They're known as Obesity UK and they have various support groups available in Scotland and I think in the other parts of the UK as well, where, where people can then go on to interact and meet other people through these support groups. Also on the website, they'll have resources that people can read about. So if people wanted more specific information, if they're looking to lose weight, this will then provide them with some of the answers. So the other thing then just to mention as well is that if people are interested, they can always ask to be referred to a weight management clinic via their GP, or they can have the initial discussion with the GP first and then to take it from there. But these websites are very helpful and they're meant for patients, they're meant for people, and they've been designed with the help of people as well. So they go through the basics of defining what obesity is all the way up to talking about what potential operations could be done. And finally, uh, of course, um, specifically for kidney patients, there's Kidney Care UK, where lots of information can be found. And specifically on there, there's um, Kidney Kitchen Recipes, which has a whole load of recipes that have been approved by uh, renal dietitians. And of course, these can be essential or very useful for patients. Dr. Sam, if anyone wants to follow you online, what are your handles? So I have an Instagram account, but I'm going to be honest, I don't really use it much as a medical account. It's more just a progression of my physical activity and exercise that I do. I use it to log my weekly runs. But if people wish to use this as a bit of motivation towards encouraging them to be more physically active where possible, then that's absolutely fine. My account on Instagram is running underscore man 15. And you'll find me on there. Okay, so that's running (laughs) underscore man 15. Do give Dr. Sam a follow. (laughs) Fantastic, thanks. So, Dr. Sam, what would be your summary for today? Well, first of all, I'm very privileged you let me do the summary because normally you do the summary. So in summary from today, what I'd like to say to people is that we can offer them a range of options. And essentially what we can do is offer people a little bit of hope that there are things we can do. Sometimes we can't always help people, but we do do our best. But we offer people an environment where they can feel welcomed and they don't have to feel judged. And this can be something that's very important for people who come along to our clinics. The options can include simple things like changing their lifestyle. It can involve medications that we've talked about. And if really things uh, move uh, along certain pathways, we can also get people involved into surgery. But these are the main things we do for people. And we also give people an opportunity 
just to speak and to tell us a bit about their journey, because we are interested in hearing about their journey as well. So I think that's probably the summary for today. So, Dr. Sam, what is your final piece of advice or encouragement for the listeners? I would basically advise people not to lose hope. There are certain things that we can do for people in order to help them along their journey. And um, that's where they can come and speak to us whenever they're free to do so. Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing this information about weight management and weight loss. I hope that this gives people hope that there is help and support out there that they can access. Thank you for your time and for sharing this information. I know it will help so many people. Thank you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Many thanks for inviting me onto the show. And I hope that this works out to being useful to at least some of the people who are listening. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior, sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.